Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today we are reading Geronimo Stilton's Get Into Gear Stilton. And it is, I'm doing a two-part episode since the book is a bit longer. So today we'll be reading chapters 1 through 11. And then next week we'll be reading chapters 11 through, I can't remember how many chapters there are. So without further ado, let's dive into the show. Okay, here we are. Chapter 1, A Cheerful Spring Morning. It was a cheerful spring morning in New Mouse City. The birds were singing and the air smelled fresh and clean, and it seemed as if everyone was smiling at me. I left my house whistling and headed toward the office at 17 Swiss Cheese Center. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is Stilton, Geronimo Stilton. I'm the editor of the Rodents Gazette, the most famous newspaper on Mouse Island. On my way to work, I stopped at the newsstand and bought a copy of my favorite magazine, The Collector of Cheeses. Then I saw the newspaper headlines. Someone had stolen Duchess Catherine's 73-carat diamond necklace. Holy jeez! I headed to my favorite coffee shop for breakfast. The owner, Flip Hot Paws, served me my usual order of a cappuccino and a delicious cheese-filled pastry. After my breakfast, I passed the bookstore in Singing Stone Square and glanced in the window. I was happy to see that the bookstore was featuring one of my best-selling books in the front window. An older rodent recognized me and asked for my autograph. I'm a very shy mouse, and flushed with embarrassment. What will your next book be about, Mr. Stilton? she asked. I haven't decided yet, I told her. After I signed her book, I continued to my office. I walked slowly along the sidewalk, deep in thought. Who had stolen the enormous diamond necklace? And what should my next book be about? Maybe I should write a comedy, or a love story, or I should write a mystery about a jewel thief. With my head in the clouds, I stepped off the curb to cross the street. Suddenly, there was a sound of screeching brakes. I spun quickly and saw that something large and yellow was about to hit me. I tried to jump out of the way, but it was too late. I flew up, up, up into the air, and they came smashing down onto the ground in the middle of the street. Chapter 2. How are you, Stilton? I looked up and saw the face of the five rodents peering down on me. I recognized the new stand owner, Flip Hot Paws, and the older rodent from the bookstore. Everyone was shouting, How are you feeling, Mr. Stilton? Ooh, what a fall. Poor thing. Oh my! Ouchie! In the midst of all of these voices, I thought I heard a familiar one. Where have I heard that before? Who could it be? How are you, my dear Stilton? The voice squeaked. Ahem. Oh, I think I'm still alive. Or am I? I replied. I heard the wail of the ambulance siren growing louder and louder and louder. But then I fainted. When I came to, I saw nothing but white. For a second, I was afraid I'd died. Then I felt a huge pain in my tail, and I knew I was definitely still alive. I was in a hospital, surrounded by the rodents who had come to my aid. They all watched as the doctor wrapped my tail in a bandage. Ouchie, ouchie, ouchie! I whimpered. What happened to me? You broke your tail, Mr. Stilton, said the doctor. You had an accident. An, an accident? I stammered. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The diamond. I, I mean, the newspaper. That is the autograph. What I meant to say is I remember now. I was about to cross the street when... Suddenly, I remembered everything. I was hit by a car, I shouted. Who would do such a thing? 
it was me, Stoughton, a familiar voice squeaked. I turned and saw my childhood friend, Hercule Polrat. You did it, I exclaimed. Why? Why, oh, why did you hit me? Hercule looked very ashamed. Sorry, Stilton, he apologized. I tried to stop, but it was too late. I had a green light, and you were in the middle of the street. You weren't paying attention, Mr. Stilton, the newsstand owner scolded me. That's right, Clopatpaws agreed. You were very distracted. Chapter 3. An Enormous Banana Peel The emergency room door flew open, and my whole family burst in. Everyone was shouting at the same time, Geronimo, you're alive! Oh, you could have been killed. You made it by a whisker. The doctor finished bandaging my tail, and I was released from the hospital. But my family members wouldn't stop scolding me. It was all your fault. Grandfather William Shortpaws barked. You have to pay more attention, dearest nephew, Aunt Sweeper told me with a look of concern. You're constantly distracted, Geronimo, my sister Thea chitted. Where was your head? My cousin Trap asked me. It must have been in the clouds, like always. What were you thinking, Uncle? My nephew Benjamin asked sweetly. Let me tell you what happened, Hercules said. I was driving the banana mobile. You've seen it before, haven't you? Hercule asked. It's an enormous yellow car shaped like a banana. Pretty hard to miss. Anyway, the light was green, but suddenly Geronimo was in front of me. Luckily, I was going slowly, but he wasn't paying any attention. His head was in the clouds, for sure. Everyone shook their heads and muttered in agreement. I was really offended. I hadn't been distracted on purpose. I was just thinking about the diamond necklace that had been stolen and concentrating on my ideas for my next book. When had daydreaming become a crime? To get away from all the finger pointing and to have some peace, I decided to retreat to my office. I am coming with you, Geronimo, Grandfather William announced. I want to keep an eye on you. He followed me all the way to the offices of the, of the Rodents Gazette. As soon as we got there, one of the staff writers, Priscilla Pretty Whiskers, walked up to me and whispered something in my ear. There's something important waiting for you in your office, she said. Then she lowered her voice even more. It's the mayor. Fur, whiskers, and all. Double-twisted rat tails, I exclaimed. What an honor. I entered my office, and Mayor Frederick Fuzzypaws greeted me cordially. Good morning, Mr. Stoughton, he said. Oh, and good morning, Miss Shortpaws. I have great news for both of you. The city will be choosing a publishing company for a very prestigious new safety awareness campaign, and we thought of you. Grandfather began to twirl his whiskers proudly. That sounds mouserific, he said. What's it about? The city is preparing a booklet on road safety education that will be distributed to all the schools in New Ma City, the mayor replied. You have no idea how many mice don't know the safety of the streets around this city, the mayor explained. Oh, I know one of those mice myself, Grandfather said as he shot me a knowing glare. I turned red as a tomato. Er, yes, we received a lot of offers from competing publishing companies. The mayor continued. For example, Sally Ratmouse's company, The Daily Rat, made a fine offer. But we want the Rodents Gazette to do this booklet. At the mere mention of The Daily Rat and Sally Ratmouse, my grandfather turned purple. 
She and her newspaper are our biggest rivals. I'm glad you came to us, Grandfather said quickly. We'll make a booklet that's whisker-looking good. We know how to handle road safety, right, Geronimo? Uh, of course, I agreed quickly. Suddenly, the mayor happened to notice my bandaged tail. Mr. Stilton, what happened? he asked. Oh, nothing, I replied. What do you mean, nothing? The mayor insisted. It's all wrapped up. Did you have an accident? My grandfather jumped in. You see, my grandson, he, he, er, he slipped on a, on a banana peel, he said. Yes, it was an enormous banana peel. I opened my eyes wide in surprise. Huh? What peel? I asked. What banana? Grandfather elbowed me inside. Hard. Ouch! I squeaked. It was enormously huge peel, Grandfather repeated. Right, Grandson. Y yes, yes, yes. It was huge, I agreed quickly as I rubbed my side. It was a banana peel as big as a, uh, big as a car. Ah, good, good, the mayor replied, looking relieved. For a second, I thought you didn't know how to travel the streets safely. In about a week, your company will officially present the booklet in Numa City's main square. Every reporter and television crew on Mice Island will be there. And, Mr. Stilton, you will be giving a live demonstration on safe driving. Who, me? I asked nervously. I have to drive in front of everyone? Why, yes, the mayor replied. Is there a problem? You have a license, right? You know how to drive safely through the streets of Numa City, correct? He stared at me, and my grandfather stared at me, and I had a very, very, very bad feeling. But what could I do? Of course I have a driver's license, I said confidently. I've had it since I was 16. Good, good, the mayor said with a smile. And it's valid, right? The license hasn't expired, has it? He peered at me, a serious look on his face, as he waited for my answer. I stood there with a smile frozen on my face as I frantically checked the license. Squeak! It expired years ago! I never drive, so I forgot to renew it. My grandfather looked at me with raised eyebrows. Is there a problem, grandson? He asked. I turned pale as a slice of mozzarella. No, no, I stammered. Everything's j just, just fine. But everything wasn't fine. I had a big problem on my paws. Chapter 3. Congratulations. A new record. The mayor got up to leave. Perfect, he said. An enormous smile on his face. Mr. Stilton, I'll see you in a week at the ceremony. And don't forget to bring the license. Of course, of course, I stuttered. The, the license, yes. Yes, of course. I was sweating, and I felt sick to my stomach. I was overcome by total panic. My license had expired. I wouldn't be able to drive during the ceremony. What a mess. I didn't dare say anything to Grandfather. Instead, I decided to call my friend Petunia Prettypaws. The truth is, I have a huge crush on Petunia, but I can never get up the courage to ask her out on a date. Still, I called to ask her for help. Hi, G. Petunia answered the phone. She listened to my problem and came up with a solution. You have to go to a very good driving school. Ask them what to do. Maybe you still have time to renew your license. I remember that there was a little driving school right on my street. It was called the very best driving school in New Moss City. So I figured it had to be good. <coughs> Excuse me. I thanked Petunia and headed straight there. 
Good morning. How may I help you? A kind-looking rodent asked sweetly. Well, I know how to drive. Yes, I do, but it's as if I don't. I tried to explain. I never drive, but I have a license, and I have to drive in a ceremony next week, and... Uh, please, oh please, can you help me? Come this way. A shrill voice behind me shouted in reply. It was the owner of the driving school, Rusty Carr. He was a very well-dressed rodent in a suit and tie the color of cheddar. Jeez. His shining eyes were as black as olive and as piercing as needles. Filled with hope, I handed him my license. He took a very quick look at the license and shook his head. I have two pieces of news for you, he said. First, this license has expired. And second, you have to retake the driving test. Retake the test? I wanted to cry. To get a driver's license, you need to pass both the written test and the road test, Rusty continued. You have to take two tests? I asked. My whiskers trembled with fear. It's true that I didn't, uh, that I hadn't have driven in a long time. But I knew how to do it. I didn't have time to study for two tests. The ceremony was in one week. But I passed both the written and driving test once, I argued, and I'm a very good driver, even if I don't do it quite often. Quite, quite, quiet, he ordered as he gave me a sheet of paper with ten questions on it. No excuses. If you think you know everything already, then take this quiz and let's see how you do. I glanced at the sheet as green as a moldy piece of paper or debris. I didn't know any of the answers. I did the best I could and handed him the paper. With a red pencil, he began, cross he began crossing out one thing after another. Not one correct answer, he announced. Absolutely none. Congratula congratulations, you've set a new record. Chapter 5. Left, right, stop. The written test was a disaster. But within a week, I have to drive in front of everybody, I wailed. My whiskers were trembling from the stress. The mayor will be there, and the reporters, and the TV news cameras. What am I going to do? Please help me. Relax, relax, Rusty assured me. All you have to do is take some driving lessons, do some studying, and then both tests will be a breeze. Okay, where do I sign up? I asked. First, you have to fully commit yourself to learning how to drive, he warned. I'll commit myself, I promised. I'll yell at you if I have to, understand? Rusty asked. Yes, yes, I agreed, getting desperate. Yell at me all you want. If you're sure, Rusty replied hesitantly. I'm sure, I squeaked. Then hop in, Rusty told me. The first lesson is about to start. I buckled my seatbelt, turned on the left signal, and checked the rearview mirror. Slowly began to pull away from the curb. Wait, Rusty shouted. You forgot to check your side mirrors. We don't want to be flattened like a slice of Swiss cheese, do we? I looked in both side mirrors and saw that the coast was clear, so I began to proceed cautiously. The entire time, Rusty shouted commands at me. Turn left! Now right! Now slow down! Accelerate! Now brake! Now accelerate again! Turn right! Come on! Then right! Come on, right! My head was spinning from all of his orders. Proceed straight! Now go forward! Go back! Right! Left! Stop! Brake! No, not like that! Can't you see we're merging? You have to remain alert and observant. I was trying my best, but it seemed like everything I did was wrong. Hey, what's the matter with you? Rusty asked. There's a crosswalk. Pedestrians have the right of way. Got it? What are you doing? That's a one-way street. Did you see the sign? 
He shook his head at me. Then things got even worse. Now it's going to get more difficult, Rusty warned me. You can never be distracted while driving, Mr. Silton. Very dangerous. I'm going to ask you a question to distract you, but you have to keep your concentration. You'll drive and answer me at the same time. Moldy mozzarella. That was not going to be good. So, how's work? Rusty began. What's your sister's name? What's three times six divided by two plus 18 minus three? Answer me. Go ahead. Answer. Er, it's f fine. I stammered. Lee, I mean, uh, Thea, uh, um, 32? Uh, now turn right and merge into traffic. I stop! I slammed the brakes. Didn't you see the stop sign? Rusty scolded me. We're almost flattened by pancakes. Now let's keep a safe distance from the truck full of manure. I slowed down a bit, but Rusty continued to hound me. The stench may be vile, but you can't pass that truck. There's a solid line, and don't drive too close. If the truck stops short, we might hit it, and then that stinky load of manure will land right on top of us. I slowed down even more. What's that noise? Rusty asked. You scraped the bumper against that curb. Yikes, you miss hitting that post, but only by less than an inch. There's an ambulance coming. Don't you hear the siren? Yield it and let it pass. Congratulations, you broke another record. Ten mistakes in less than an hour. He shook his head. As far as that official ceremony with the mayor, there are only two solutions, Rusty continued. Either get someone else to take your place, or start getting serious about these driving lessons. Humiliated, I lowered my head. I really am trying to be serious, I mumbled. Tell me what I have to do to improve. Rusty studied me intensely with his shiny black eyes. Each morning, at seven o'clock on the dot, you must have a written lesson, he said. I nodded in agreement. Then after that, you need to have a long driving lesson, he continued. Maybe, just maybe, you might pass the test. But I have to be truthful with you. Your situation is pretty desperate. I agreed to the lessons. What else could I do? Chapter 6. You're a loose cannon. From that day on, I arrived punctually at 7 o'clock every morning for my written lesson and my driving lesson. Then I raced to my office to work on the booklet on road safety for the mayor's office. On the morning of the fourth day, Rusty greeted me with a devilish grin. Well, well, let's see if you're ready, he said, rubbing his paws together. Then he began pointing to an enormous chart with lots of street signs, as he shouted one question after another. What does this sign mean, he asked. And this one? And how about this one? Hmm. I froze. I couldn't remember anything. Bicycle path? I guess. It was the first thing that popped into my head. I don't know. Maybe, uh, uh, no entry to bicycles? Or, or switch the circles? Uh, caution geometry test ahead? Uh, maybe right away? Or maybe, uh, I don't know. I was so stressed out, my tails twisted into tiny knots. I couldn't remember anything. Rusty threw his paws into the air. I don't believe it, he exclaimed. You're a loose cannon. You're lucky your license expired because you really need this refresher. You're a complete basket of nerves. Don't worry, I'll help you get through this. After the written lesson, I took my driving lesson, and then I went straight to the office to work on the road safety booklet. In the booklet, I tried to explain the importance of abiding by the rules of the road. There were only three more days until my booklet was due, so I worked day and night, and I finally finished it and emailed it to the editor. Then I collapsed and fell asleep with my snout on top of my laptop computer.
I dreamed that an enormous traffic cop was blowing his whistle and shaking his head as he wrote me a traffic ticket. You're not ready, Mr. Stilton, he said. You still have to work very hard. Very, very hard. Yes, extremely hard. Chapter 7, A Golden Cloud When I woke up the following morning at ten minutes to seven, the imprints of all the computer keys were stamped onto my face. I rushed over to the very best driving school in New Mouth City for my fifth day of lessons. Everything was going very well, and Rusty even let a teeny tiny compliment sleep. Not bad, not bad, he said. You're almost ready. That's when something very strange happened. I heard a police siren behind me, and I instinctively pulled over to the side of the road. It was a good thing I did it, because an instant later, a golden car whizzed by. It was moving so fast, I thought it was a missile. The car's model. The car's motor. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry guys. Can't talk. The car's motor. <laughs> motor made no noise. It only emitted a strange hmm, like a purring cat. I tried to figure out who was driving this mysterious vehicle, but the windows were tinted and I couldn't see inside. But I did see a strange symbol of a golden sun on the car's hood. Immediately after the car drove by, a silver car that was otherwise identical to the gold one went zooming by. It was almost as though the silver car was chasing the gold one. Huh? Rusty asked. What? Whatever he said was drowned out by the sound of the police sirens as they chased after both cars. Then something incredibly strange happened. The golden car stopped right in front of us. The sun rays illuminated it like gold star, and I peered into the driver's side, trying to get a glimpse of the driver. Suddenly, we heard a loud click, and the golden car disappeared. The silver car that was following the golden car accelerated. A few seconds later, it slipped over the horizon and was out of sight. The police car pulled alongside us, and Inspector Clue Rat climbed out. He is New Mouth City's chief of police. Cheddar cheese sticks, Inspector Rat exclaimed in frustration. Those two cars got away. He turned and saw Rusty and I. Mr. Stilton, he said, did you see that? What do you think made that golden car disappear? I shook my head. I have no idea, I replied. It was very mysterious, but I did hear a clicking sound, which makes you think there was some sort of mechanical trick. I turned to ask Rusky, Rusty his opinion, but he was calling someone on his cell phone. Who? Whispering something. What? And looking mysterious. Why? A second later, he hung up the phone. Lesson's over. Rusty said to me impatiently, Let's go, Mr. Stilton. I have a very important meeting to attend. Chapter 8. You Can Call Me Soul We drove back to the very best driving school in New Moss City in silence, which was very unusual. Rusty usually spent every minute of my lesson shouting orders at me. I didn't know why he was acting so strangely. I'll see you tomorrow, Rusty, I said as I hopped out of the car. No, no lessons tomorrow. He replied, I'm busy tomorrow. Strange. How very, very strange. I hurried to the office and worked all day to get ready for the big event when the mayor, and to look over the final draft of the road safety education booklet before it was printed. On my way home that evening, I mulled over the morning's very, very strange events. 
Why had the silver car been chasing the gold one? And what was Rusty being so secretive about? I was almost at my front door when I heard a peculiar noise. Click! Startled, I turned around and let out a yelp. A dazzling cloud of light appeared, and suddenly, the mysterious golden car was sitting right in front of me. As soon as it appeared, the golden car zoomed off. The same silver car from earlier that morning was chasing it again. I don't know why, but I had a feeling the golden car was in trouble. I had to help it. Without thinking, I hailed the taxi and dashed off in hot pursuit. Fortunately, it was already evening, and there was no one in the streets of New Mouse City, so it wasn't difficult for the taxi to follow the two cars. Suddenly, I heard a sound. Click! The golden car disappeared into the night. Ah! The taxi driver yelled. A ghost car! He wanted to drop me off right then and there, but I promised I'd pay him double if he kept driving. So we kept following the silver car. It was heading towards the park. We followed the car, turning on the wide, tree-lined avenue inside the park. Then I heard the familiar sound. The mysterious golden car rematerialized right in front of us, and the silver car was right on its tail. This time, I made up my mind not to lose them. Please keep up, I told the taxi driver. I'll pay you triple. We were right behind the silver car when I noticed that there was a driver in the silver car, but there was no one at the wheel of the golden car. How was that possible? Suddenly, I knew how I could stop the wild car chase. I noticed that the tree line avenue became wider down the road. Quick, I shouted to the driver, pass the car. The taxi driver passed the silver car and then swiftly applied the blade. To avoid hitting us, the silver car was forced to veer right onto the side street. The golden car took the opportunity to turn left down a different street. The silver car abandoned the chase and quickly disappeared into the night, while the terrified cab driver stopped abruptly. That's it, he squeaked. I'd have enough of ghost cars. The driver kicked me out of the taxi. I'll send your bill to you at home, Mr. Stilton, he shouted at me as he sped away. And I'm warning you, it will be very, very expensive. He left me there all alone, feeling like a fool. I had stopped a dangerous car chart. <laughs> Excuse me. I had stopped a dangerous car chase, which was a good thing, but I couldn't figure out what actually happened. It was a real mystery. Then I heard a click and a metallic voice behind me. It said only two words. Thank you. For a second, I thought the voice was sounding a lot like my sister, Thea. But then I remembered that she was away on a research trip this week, so it couldn't be her. I jumped back and whirled around. Who said that? I squeaked. Behind me was a golden car. Had the car spoken to me? And where had it come from? Was it possibly that I was dreaming? To be absolutely certain, I was awake. I pulled one of my whiskers. Yow! I yelped. I was definitely awake. Then the voice spoke again. I am solar, a robot car, the voice said. You can call me Soul. Who are you? For a second, my mouth dropped open in amazement. Not only did the car talk, but it also had a name. Solar. The name suited it perfectly because it sounded just like the golden sun. Soon as I got my wits about me, I answered, Ahem. My name is Stilton, Geronimo Stilton. Thank you for helping me, Geronimo 
Stilton, Soul said. I trust you. I would be honored if you would be my driver. I was very confused. Surely Soul didn't need a driver. The car was able to drive itself. But I was flattered that the car had asked me, and I didn't want to say no. I suppose I could. Sure, yes, of course, I stammered. But I have a little problem. I didn't renew my driver's license. Chapter 9. Soul Secret. Get in, Soul ordered. I will drive. For now, you are a passenger. You be my driver. After you renew your license, I will take you to a secret place. A place I call home. So I got in the car. What else could I do? Soul drove for a long time. The motor hummed sweetly as the miles wore on. It was so quiet. I fell asleep in the back seat as the car steered and performed all the necessary maneuvers to drive. I woke up when the car stopped. We were in a place I can't tell you about. On a, sh on a street I can't tell you about. In front of a government building I can't tell you about. That's because I gave my wo rodent's word to keep it a secret, and I always keep my word. I can only tell you that Soul drove into a long, narrow, rectangular room that slowly began to descend. I quickly realized it was an enormous elevator, big enough for a car. The elevator stopped. The doors in front of us opened, and we found ourselves in an immense room where lots of technicians in white lab coats were busy operating some bizarre machinery. It was a mysterious scientific laboratory. I was puzzled about the kind of experiments that were being conducted there. I was about to ask Sol, but realized the car was no longer by my side. Sol had driven over to a mouse in the lab coat, was bent over the table littered with different sized test tubes filled with colored liquids. The scientist seemed to be completely absorbed in his task. Dad, Sol exclaimed. Sol, the scientist replied as he turned around. As soon as the mouse turned, I recognized Professor Von Vault. What are you doing here, Professor? I exclaimed in surprise. He had a mysterious look about him. My friend, I'm so happy to see you, he replied. I've seen you discovered my latest invention, Solar, the first talking robot car in the world. It is an extremely precious experimental prototype. Thank you for bringing it back to me in one piece. I would have figured it out by myself, Sol said, but he was all right. He is very polite. I like this mouse. Professor Von Volk is Solar, an affectionate pet. Solar is part of a secret project in the fight against crime in New Mouse City, the professor told me. The best scientists in all of New Mouse City work together to build Solar, he continued. In fact, they're all matters of the Von Volk family. Then he pressed a red button and spoke into a microphone that came out of a little door. Urgent meeting in Lab 2. Two breathless rodents arrived at once. One red hair, one had red hair and glasses perched on the tip of his snout. The letter D was monogrammed into his shirt. This is my nephew, Dewey Von Vault, the professor introduced him. The other was a rodent with shiny eyes that were black as olives and piercing as needles. It was Rusty Carr. Rusty? I asked in shock. What are you doing here? Geronimo, you already know my cousin Rusty? Professor Von Vault asked in surprise. He's very skillful, skillful mechanical engineer, as well as an excellent driving instructor. The next to arrive was a rodent with red hair and eyes, 
as green as emeralds. It was Margot Bintmouse, a well-known computer expert in Numa City. She was Professor Von Vault's second cousin. Finally, a little robot joined the group. And this is Robot 8, Professor Von Vault said as he finished the introductions. Good, everyone's here, Professor Von Vault said seriously. Now we can give Sol a complete exam to make sure he hasn't been damaged. Geronimo, if you'd like, I'll have someone take you home. But Sol piped up. No, the car said. He stays here. I want him to be my driver. Him? Rusty Carr shouted loudly in protest. But he's a terrible driver. I should know. I'm his driving instructor. Chapter 10. I want him. But Sol insisted. I want Geronimo Stilton, the car said stubbornly. Him and only him. I turned to Sol. Rusty is right, I admitted. I really stink at driving, and I still have to pass the driving test. I want Stilton, the car insisted. Stilton and no one else. Holy cheese, this car was so stubborn. Sol reminded me more and more of my sister Thea. Professor Von Volt sighed. All right, he agreed reluctantly. But first, Geronimo has to read Sol's operating manual from front to back, and then he has to pass the driving test. Professor Von Volt turned to Rusty. Please have Geronimo take the test tomorrow at dawn before Sol leaves for its next mission, he said. Sol beeped its horn happily. Beep! Then a whole bunch of technicians took Sol to the maintenance department for a checkup. I put my snout to the grindstone, and I began to go over all the rules of the road so I would be sure to pass the driving test. After that, I started studying Sol's operating manual. Holy cheese, it was ten feet tall. Professor Von Vaal explained that Sol was a robot car with microcircuits of a mini auto fuzzies and bumble gills with 10,000 cheesy watts of power providing by 13 different gaggle waddles. I couldn't understand a thing. The only thing I did understand was that the circuits that made up Sol's electronic brain were modeled after my sister Thea's brain. I tried to reconstruct the brain of the smartest and toughest rodent in New Mouth City. Your sister Thea, Professor Von Vault told me. Holy cheese. So that's why whenever Sol spoke, it reminded me of Thea. That's probably also why Sol and I got along so well. Thea drives me cheesy sometimes, but deep down we really do love each other. I also found that Sol had the, all the comforts of home, including a movie projector on the dashboard and a stereo system that played relaxing background music that changed according to the mood of the driver. Sol could also make photocopies, send emails, and make 33 different kinds of hot chocolate, including my favorite, with whipped cream on top. And Sol could bake cheesy chip cookies and pizza, including my favorite variety, triple cheese. By pushing a button, one of the back seats became a comfy bed with a very soft mattress and a tiny built-in nightstand and lamp. And the trunk transforms itself into a pop-up bathroom equipped with every necessity imaginable. A tub with energizing or relaxing bath salts, depending on the driver's mood. A shower, a toilet, a sink, and a toothbrush that dispensed Swiss cheese-flavored toothpaste. The back seat could transform itself into a mini kitchen with an oven and a small storage area stocked with the finest cheeses. And the front seat could become a tiny office with a built-in library and a mini desk for sudden brainstorms. For a writer like me, it was the cat's meow. I just finished reading the 10-foot-tall manual when Rusty and Professor Von Vault came in. 
Did you finish giving Sol the once-over? I asked him. Not yet, Rusty replied with a shake of his head. There's still one little thing I need to do, and then Sol will be ready. But how about you? Are you ready? Did you study for the driver's test? And did you read the enormous manual? Huh? Did you? Did you? My whiskers trembled with stress. I did my best, I squeaked nervously. I think I understand it all, except for one thing. How does Sol disappear? It's simple, Professor Von Vall answered. Sol emits a special reflective screen that mirrors its surroundings and camouflages it. Incredible, I exclaimed. Does the silver car disappear too? No, Rusty answered. The silver car cannot just disappear. That car is named Lunar. My sister, Carlotta, created it. She is the best electrical engineer on Mars Island, and she was part of the team that designed solar. He pulled a picture out of his wallet and showed it to me. This is Carlotta, he sighed. On a sad sigh. One day she suggested I use solar to commit crimes, like robbing banks. Obviously, I refused. Then she tried to steal Sol, but Sol understood what was happening and was able to activate all of its safety mechanisms and anti-theft devices. When we designed Sol, we equipped it with a code of ethnics that would never allow it to do anything dishonest, Professor Von Vault added. Unfortunately, Carlotta stole the design and built another car similar to Sol, but without the code of ethics. Rusty continued, she even tried to destroy Sol, but she foiled her own plan by activating the alarm system. Carlotta Fred fled with the stolen plans, but she lost one piece of them, the sheet with the instructions to render the car invisible, Professor Von Vell explained. That's why Lunar, the car Char Carlotta built, can't disappear, and that's why she's constantly trying to capture Sol. She wants to discover the secret of its invisibility and then destroy it. Chapter 11, Mission Impossible. I was shocked at what I had just heard. It was so sad to hear that Carlotta wanted to use Solar's incredible technological advances to commit crimes. What an unhappy rodent she must be. Rusty's voice shook me from my thoughts. Enough moping, Rusty squeaked. You're about to go on your first mission as Solar's driver. But before you can drive Solar, you have to pass the driving test. You ready? Let's go. My whiskers trembled with excitement and fear. Rusty handed me the test. To pass the written part of the exam, I had to, one, answer all the questions, and two, not make a single mistake. For the driving part of the exam, I had to drive Sol around for 20 minutes while Rusty and Professor Von Vault watched from a hidden camera. If you make even the tiniest little mistake, we'll see to it immediately, Rusty told me. If you drive well, we'll renew your license. But if you drive poorly, Sol will fling you out of the car and we won't renew your license. Yikes, I squeaked nervously. I'll try my best. I started the written part of the test. Incredibly, I managed to answer all 10 questions without making even the tiniest error. Well done, Geronimo, Rusty said with a grin. Now comes the fun part, the driving test. Are you ready? At that moment, Sol came toward me slowly. Next to it was Margot Bitmouse. Her big green eyes made, her, made my heart skip a beat. Sol revved its motor. What is the hold-up, Stilton? Sol asked. Why are you getting in or not? Margot Bitmouse squeezed my shoulder and smiled at me. Now it's up to you, Geronimo, she said. Do your best. Make sure you pass, Rusty ordered me. Don't make me look bad. Take care of Sol, Professor Von Vault said nervously. 
It's the only prototype of its kind in the world. I placed my palm on my heart. I promise to defend the soul with my life, I said solemnly. I give you my word, rodents honor. We have to ask you to never uncover the location of our secret laboratory, Margaret Bentmouth added. I will never reveal it to anyone, I promised. I give you my word, rodents honor. Then it's time for you to begin your first mission, Margot Bitmouth said. And your driving test, Rusty added. Um, what exactly does this mission entail? I asked with a squeak. Find Lunar, retrieve Duchess Catherine's 73 carat diamond necklace, and return it to the New Moss City's museum. What? I asked. But I, I I can't do that, all that. It's it's impossible. I, I have to drive in the mayor's ceremony tomorrow. Well, then when we have to, we will finish this mission in one night, Solar said calmly. Professor Von Vault handed me a pair of golden mirrored glasses. When you wear these, you and Sol will be able to communicate more easily, he told me. I opened Sol's door and climbed in. Good luck, Stilton, Rusty said. Do your best on your driving test. Don't make me look bad. I put on the golden glasses and was instantly connected directly with solar circuits. It was as if our brains were one. Incredible. The elevator took us up, 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 and we found ourselves on the street. I checked to make sure no one had seen us, and then I drove down a side street. Thank you for saying you would defend me with your life, Solar said. I would do the same for you. Thank you, I replied, moving, moved by the gesture. gesture. You are welcome, Solar said. Now, let us get down to business. It is the perfect night to look for Lunar. Lunar is more active at night because it uses moonbeams to recharge. Sol connected its computer to the satellite orbiting Numa City. Photos taken by the satellite appeared instantly on the computer's screen. Sol began scanning one photo after another at an incredible speed until one of the photos showed a silver silhouette. It was Lunar, and it was at Numa City's port. I drove Sol towards the docks, all the while being very careful to signal according to the rules of the road. After all, I was taking a test. Solar and I searched along the deserted piers all night. As dawn approached, we headed towards the beach. Suddenly, Sol came to a dead stop in front of what looked like the tracks of a car that had suddenly applied its brakes. Look, Sol told me, those tracks belong to Lunar. I got out and looked around confused. The tracks didn't seem to lead anywhere. Huh? I asked. Where did Lunar go? Sol activated its built-in echo sounder and began probing the bottom of the sea. I found it, Sol said. Lunar is on the ocean floor. I saw a light at the bottom of the sea, and the water began to bubble. Suddenly, Lunar rose to the surface like an enormous silvery fish. Well, there is halftime. This is where our episode is going to come to a close. But hopefully you can turn in next week and you can see how this story ends in the other half of Geronimo Stilton's Get in the Gear Stilton. And I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Have a nice day.